Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for coming. This is try that again. Continuous compliance in the AWS cloud. My name is Scott Paddock. I am what's called a uh, security solutions architect. It's a specialist role within AWS, and I'm pleased to be joined today by Jeff Feist, who is, I think, really a colleague in a similar spirit at Merck. Uh, cloud security architect is a fair way. Perfect. Uh, we are here today. We're going to tell you some wonderful stuff about compliance using AWS, and specifically, uh, well, I won't read you the, the slides. The, the idea here is that we want to present, I will be speaking to you about what the tools are that you can use, how they work, what their names are, sort of setting the stage, and then I will hand it off to Jeff, who will tell you how they do this stuff at Merck, specifically, give you a real world example. And for those of you who like to see code and test your eyesight, We'll have some of that, so uh, hopefully we're going to you know, cover a lot of good ground that's helpful for a lot of folks. And what else can I tell you about here? Let's see. That looks like the plan. So what is the big deal with continuous compliance? And, and I'm going to speak, and, and Jeff will as well, about principally GXP. And if you're not familiar, that's an acronym where it's capital G, lowercase x, capital P. And the grand idea is the X is a variable. And in this case, laboratory, clinical, manufacturing are examples of like GLP, GCP, GMP, or CGMP, depending upon your degree of, of fussiness about it. These are, these are examples of good practices for a particular industry. And they carry with them a certain degree of, of regulatory oversight. The FDA gets involved in this. There are two big points on this slide. One of them is, what on earth is it, which is what I'm trying to get across now. And the second side of is, is uh, why? Why do we do this? And that's the last bullet point here. Consumer safety is what drives this sort of thing, whether it's a medical device or a medicine or anything in between. That's the grand idea. The mantra that comes up time and time again in yellow here, if it isn't documented, it didn't happen. Auditors will tell you that far and wide. I, I trust me on this one. It's a big deal. So when you're talking about continuous compliance, it's, a, it's about drift control. In the old model, you would do a validation effort of some form or another. That was a very point-in-time measure. You knew what it was that moment, but what's happened since then? Hmm. Well, hopefully good things. Continuous compliance is a mechanism by which you can reduce that drift window. So you can get data. If it's documented, it happened. Well, we can fill that checkbox. We can get you the documented data to demonstrate that whatever it is happened. What kind of stuff? Well, you know, these are, these are certainly many of the highlights. These are not, this is not an exhaustive list. But suppose for the sake of argument, you had to do, uh, we're going to talk about validations in a workflow context in this deck. But computer system validation is a big deal. Uh, actually, I'll get to that too. Come to think of it, I'll get to that too. The uh, records and reports and auditing, very, very important for your audit program generally. We will have ways that we'll, we'll call out in this deck where you can generate data, report on your data, know what's what. Okay, so we hear these questions a lot. These are not foreign, these are not unusual, and these are not unreasonable. These are all very good questions, and we're going to cover these at least at, a, at a, maybe a cursory level. We've got a limited amount of time. I also probably should mention while I'm on the topic of time that um, we are asked logistically to not have a Q&A session, but I don't think that you guys are going to have a hard time finding me in the crowd. 
right? So feel free if you see me throughout the week to stop me and ask me. I'll tell you if I'm, you know, hair on fire running someplace, but otherwise I love talking shop. So don't be, you know, afraid to come up and say, you know, Scott, I think you're out of off your meds. I want to talk to you about compliance. I'm there. So that is a, a sort of a, a way to acknowledge that we're not able to do Q&A, but I don't want the door to be closed. Okay. I'm going to take a quick detour because normally I could say fairly that in, a, in the context of a GXP workload, you probably don't care about, like, patient data. Well, you know, could be true. However, the trend has been lately that, um, well, I guess the term precision medicine is the one that I would think gets the most press, where you're taking like genomic data or something specific to a person that becomes part of a treatment regimen or protocol kind of blurs that line a little bit. And with that in mind, I'm going to call out a couple of things that are worth knowing if this applies to you. And, and the acronym EPHI, incidentally, is for Electronic Protected Health Information. That's a fancy HIPAA acronym. It, for our purposes, if it applies to you or your organization, perhaps more appropriately, we have something called a business associate agreement. You're probably well aware of them. Ours has these four conditions. If this applies to you right now, how do I know if this applies to me? Well, does a system transmit, process, or store EPHI or PHI? If it does, then it needs to follow these rules. And if it doesn't, don't worry about it. It's all good. No issue. With, let's see here. This is maybe the best way to dive in. <laughs> we talk about Amazon's pace of change. And I had to edit this this morning, right? Like talking to you folks today. I'm scrambling this morning because word got to me last night at about 1 a.m. that we've got new services available under our BAA eligible services list. If you haven't heard what this is, uh, we're saying for the machines that process, transmit, or store PHI, we'd like you to use these. These have gone through our most rigorous set of controls and audit standards. We are confident that these are going to meet your needs. Others, there's a story to tell, and I'm going to get to that. Because as you can see, well, hang on a second, I don't see VPC, I don't see KMS. This is going to be a problem. Not necessarily. Oh, uh, the change, incidentally. Um, there are several flavors of our Amazon RDS relational database service. We have Aurora, Postgres, MySQL, Microsoft SQL, Oracle. Not every one of those is approved for healthcare use, but as of this morning or last night, uh, we can add Postgres and Aurora to the list, which for those of you who've been waiting, that's good news. If it's not something that you've looked into yet, you can take my word, it's, it's a pretty good development. Going to make a lot of people happy. What about the other stuff? What about VPC, KMS, that kind of jazz? One of two conditions will be true. Either it's purely not applicable. The services involved do not transmit, store, or process PHI. End of story. Others may. They, they may do... I'll give you the, the example in the center of this slide here is probably the best. Uh, if you can't read the font, it says Amazon CloudWatch. And CloudWatch may be something that day over day you could use just fine. You know, it, it gathers data about CPU, memory, network throughput, disk I.O., that kind of jazz. And there's also an agent for it. If you install it within an operating system, it will tell you the things that are in the system log as well. Okay. Suppose for the sake of argument, you've written an application 
and it's got a debug or an error handler of some sort. So if things really go off the rails, it'll say, well, Scott was looking up this record. It was about this patient. It was on this date and time, <clears throat> and on and on and on. And all of a sudden, what do you know? You've got PHI in a service that is not supposed to have it. Whoops. So that's kind of the thinking behind this. The, really, the litmus is simple. Does it process, transmit, or store? Well, not normally. Could it happen on a fringe or edge basis? Oh, yeah. Be aware of it. Others, really not so much. That top row there, cloud commit, cloud deploy, cloud, uh, uh, code demit, code. I know what, I'll try to drink a water. I can't even read these names anymore. I'm so tired. Code, <laughs> didn't help. Code commit, code deploy, and code pipeline. Um, this is going to be for your life cycle, for your development efforts. Why on earth would you have patient data in there? I mean, I, I can't come up with a reason, but like, surprise me. I don't know. Maybe I haven't thought of it. It's probably safe. Handily in the not applicable category. Okay, well, it also says decouple. And the other term that you sometimes will see for this is indirection. And I'm going to get to that in a minute. Okay, so when we're talking about validating workloads or systems, uh, I started in the healthcare field sort of by accident. I didn't set out to do it. And when I started, it was very much the measure on the left. Lots of paperwork, lots of really sort of agonizing, yes, I did the burn-in, yes, I did the memory, every checksum, every last thing, and I've produced a five-foot pile of documentation, hopefully in order to make everyone happy. Then, as time progressed, virtualization really made that easier. You could say, all right, well, I can, I can you know, shrink this down quite a bit and have less headache to do. But now we're, we're talking about the cloud era where when your infrastructure is code, you can automate all of these tests. You can do this in a way that is scriptable. It is so much nicer to have to do this than to have to go on the manual path. Okay, so this is part of how we get to continuous compliance. When you can automate and script the kind of controls and checks that you need to do for your compliance effort and run them all the time, your drift window becomes very much smaller. I know that sounds sort of like obvious, maybe. It's a big deal. It really is. Okay. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a model that sometimes I have seen referred to as, and I'm looking specifically at control mapping uh, to a given framework, you could interpret this a couple of ways. You could be thinking about this functional requirements, design specifications, test cases, and results. That's probably a pretty familiar model. V model, where you're mapping your qualifications to your test requirements. That's one way. Another way to interpret this is to say, I need to align to ISO or ITIL or SOC or NIST some kind of a governance framework. Those are all both good examples, and you can do both. I, I want to paint a large picture with many colors here. You can do this either way and both ways. You can say this is part of my process for creating design and test patterns, as well as applying controls from a framework that I know I need to follow to the control set in use and demonstrate it. Okay, so I think I told you about automating evidence collection, logs, configurations, values, uh, there's one service that's coming up that has the ability to roll back and another has the ability to alarm on uh, unexpected values. Very helpful. What are these tools? Well, here's one. VPC flow logs or flow logs. Um, this is, if you're familiar with NetFlow, it's a real similar kind of a model. It's what they call a five-tuple view. 
source and destination IP, source and destination port, date and timestamp, traffic type, and dispensation. Did it, did it get dropped or did it get passed? That kind of data. So if you needed to do like a forensic replay account, then that's probably not the tool for the job. Those also tend to really fill up your storage in a hurry. This is a much more practical measure where you can see the traffic flow without having to necessarily pay a, a penalty for storage. CloudWatch. Well, I already kind of picked on it once. Uh, CloudWatch is the service that will allow you to see the, the hardware parameters for your virtual machine instances as an example. Um, this is the tool, incidentally, that has the alarms. So in a, the next slide, I'm going to tell you about another service, and I want you to understand that these are not necessarily islands. They, they work together. They interoperate. Specifically, CloudTrail. AWS, all of our services communicate with one another by way of hardened API endpoints, which from a logging and visibility point of view is fantastic. We can log all that traffic. And, well, okay, what do you do with it? Well, auditors like it, obviously. They get to see what's happening in your environment. But a real simple example, let's say for the sake of argument, you wanted to just know when someone was logging into your account with root credentials. It's a good practice. You can take CloudTrail data, feed it through CloudWatch, and CloudWatch will say, okay, when I see root or the ID for root, whether it's successful or not, send me a text message, send me an email. Let me know somebody did it. I think... I might like to know. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about at a very, very modest level. You can make that go far, that idea of leveraging one service against another. And we have, um, at the end of this deck, the last slide is a resource page, and it has links. So we'll certainly, I have white papers that will walk you step by step how to do this. If you haven't done it, it's worth it. It really is. Config. If you think of config as change management in the cloud, that's a good start. Uh, config has a feature or a function or a subset or I'm not sure quite how to give it a taxonomy. Config rules is a subset, I guess is the right way to say it, of config. And what this will do for you is allow you to say when you see something that is out of the expected, unusual in some way, roll it back, notify me, kill it. Whatever the right next step is, you can tell it to do just that. Maybe you have a policy that says developers, when they are spinning up virtual machines, I want to insist that they tag their resources. Tags are little you know, searchable labels, if you will. And I just think that that's important, and I'm going to put my foot down, and I'm going to say I need this from you. I can tell config rules, look for it. If somebody spins up a machine that doesn't have tags, well, now it's your turn to you know, play Darth Vader. Do you... You know, like, do this and make him choke from far away, or do you drop the server, or whatever you're going to do, it will know the next step. You can automate the enforcement of policy this way very easily. Now, admittedly, there are policy documents or policy, um, it's a language. It, there's more nuance there to be told. This is a very easy way to get your uh, toes wet, hands dirty. Good metaphor. Fill in the metaphor that fits. It's a good starting point. All right. Putting them all together. Well, this is all building on the spirit of what you can do with these. Not just cloud watch to cloud, I'm sorry, cloud trail to cloud watch. You can do more. You can say, well, you know, I've got Splunk or Sumo Logic or some other kind of an SIEM, or maybe I don't have any of those, and I'm just going to grab this, what we call the Elk stack, the uh, Elasticsearch log stash in Kibana is open source, uh, equivalent in many ways to Splunk and Sumo Logic and that sort of thing. 
And uh, you can take the data that you get from all the services I mentioned, the flow logs, CloudTrail, CloudWatch, and Config, from your S3 buckets and put them into your Splunk, Sumo Logic, ArcSite. I mean, there's tons of them that will ingest this data. So if you've already got an investment, you've already got something you like, great. Add to it. Make it more robust. No harm there. Uh, CloudWatch logs and CloudWatch alarms we already talked about. Establishing baselines, like when I told you when something is unusual, well, we kind of have to define what unusual looks like. I mean, how would we know otherwise? It looks like this most of the time. When it doesn't, alert me. This is a visualization of what I'm trying to describe. And on the left are the things that generate data. And, and the list goes on, incidentally. This is just so that I'm not flooding you with little icons. The grand idea is that these log generators will feed into something like CloudWatch logs or Splunk or Sumo Logic or fill in the blank, whatever was your favorite. And then what can you do with it? Well, in the case of CloudWatch and CloudWatch logs, you can create alerts that can push to a dashboard or email you, send you a text message, um, lots of responses. So you can know pretty immediately what's up. All right. When it comes to speaking with auditors and they say, okay, well, you've got logs. How do you know that you have not had anyone tampering with them? Well, it's a good question. One of the things that uh, you know, is, is easy to answer that question is to say, well, once it's in S3, that's an immutable file store. You can delete it, but you can't change it. You can only replace it. It is object store. Most of the time, that resonates. They seem to understand, OK, well, if it's there, it's been that way since it was placed there. But one of the things I think is sort of an unsung advantage is with config, <clears throat> excuse me, you can do queries. You can say, <laughs> Auditors love to say things like, what was your environment like on the first of the month or the first of the year? And I used to hate that question. I just did. It was like, you don't know what you're asking. You are asking for a pile of paper this big. And we don't have to have that burden anymore. Because with config, you can scroll back. It, you have to turn it on, right? doesn't run if it's not on. Once it's on, you can scroll back the hand of time as far as the point which you turned it on and say, here's what my environment was like at a really granular level. These were my servers. These were my security groups. These were my users. These were the relationships between them. Holy cow, that's a big deal. To be able to have, because really you can get almost everything in the way of information from config about your environment, except for why people do what they do. And if you have a way to figure that out, let me know. I would love to cash in on that. I can tell you that Scott made the change. Here's the before condition. Here's the after condition. Here's when he did it. Here's where he did it from. All that kind of stuff. Why he did it. Well, he was office meds or something, you know. Here's what it looks like. If you've, uh, if you've not played with it, I t this is a screenshot, incidentally, from um, a blog post. And it's a little bit dated now, so the, the look is a little bit different. But what I wanted to sh call out was this timeline across the top. And you'll notice, boy, it's really kind of tiny. There, from the timeline, there are little uh, circles with a line and a little number underneath them. That may be a an ambitious thing for you to try to see from that distance. Those are the events on that time. So we're looking at a specific date that that's an hour and a half-ish. And it's telling me how many things occurred at each time interval. And I can drill into those. And I can see a very granular, specific before, after, who made the change, that kind of jazz. Very helpful stuff. OK, well. 
talking about apps and I'm talking about hosting. What about development? I mean, that's, it doesn't exist, in a, at least it shouldn't exist in an island. Uh, we can actually make the case that, that, admittedly, this is a picture from a code pipeline documentation. It really only needs to be something that describes the life cycle. You may have a different model, but there's something that's cyclical about this, where the, the issues and ideas come to the engineers, and then it goes through the usual pipeline, and that's great. And we can help support this with the tools that we're talking about, the code deploy, code commit, and code pipeline, in such a way that we're furthering the cause of your continuous compliance. That's helpful. It really saves a lot of effort and headache. All right. The, the stuff that's on the left here, this is all, you've seen this before. You're probably already familiar with it. The stuff that's on the right is how we can support what you're already doing. Uh, these are simple examples. There are plenty more to choose from. Uh, when it comes to retaining records and being able to, you know, search or, or even dispose of them and know that you've securely done that, there are tools available that will make that visible and hopefully please your auditors because there's an abundance of documentation and clarity. Here's more stuff. The, uh, the list really could go on quite a bit. It depends on what your needs are, but certainly these would be ones that I would hope you would include in addition to whatever else you think is appropriate. Um, yeah. So I'm going to summarize my section here, and I'm running ahead of schedule, so let me see if I can... Uh, do a better transition than I had intended. The, the spirit of this is to say that the top and the bottom points are the two that I really want to drive home for you. Infrastructure as code is a big deal. It makes a world of difference. We're seeing it in, in, in this context. We're saying this is a healthcare and life sciences conversation. We have regulatory compliance and audit needs. It fits them very nicely. The, the bottom one, I think, is really where you feel good about it because now you can do the same things that you needed to do with less headache and, and certainly a shorter stack of paperwork to be done, and with more granularity, too. It really does make a difference. Okay. That's the level set for the tools. That's what we're going to talk about. Now, Jeff will, will add one. He's going to tell you about Trusted Advisor. I don't want to steal his thunder. There's one more tool in the mix that will help with your compliance. But I want you to hear from, from Jeff specifically because this is a real-world example. It's one thing for me to say, hey, you can use these tools in this way, and it's great, and you should trust me on this one because it's really far out. I get that you need brass tacks. You need to know exactly how this can be applied. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so delighted to have Jeff here with us. So thank you for your time. I'm going to trade places with Jeff. I'm going to steal my water. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jeff Feist. I'm with Merck. As you heard, I'm a cloud architect. I focus on security. Uh, just a quick slide about Merck, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, we're a global healthcare company celebrating our 125th year anniversary, so we've been around for some time now. And uh, we work to make a difference in uh, global health. We're known as Merck in the United States and Canada, and uh, through the rest of the world, we're known as MSD. Uh, this is what I'm going to cover today, uh, how we have uh, some continuous compliance on our regulated workloads. I'll talk a little bit about the past of where we were, what really helped us to drive uh, the direction we're in now talk about uh, the present, the solutions that we've had, give examples of how we've done that along with architecture diagrams, hopefully things that you can take away and can apply for yourself, and then just end with a little bit about where we see ourselves going in the future. 
So starting in the past, uh, when we started rolling out the cloud, we always had to focus on security. Uh, it's the number one focus in our mind, always has and always will be. We wanted to make sure that any of the workloads that we had in the environment were very secure. But with that, uh, we had a number of manual checks in place. So things like making sure services were enabled, uh, making sure policies are in line with what we expected. It was a lot of uh, hands-on activity to make sure that the environment was really how we wanted it. Uh, it was also sort of a best guess at the standard configurations that we've had. Uh, we would build an environment, configure it the way we expected, and then when we built another environment, we would copy those configurations and uh, apply them to that environment. Uh, for that second environment, we may make a few changes based on business requirements, and then when we had the third environment, we would take those configs and move to the third. So you can see it sort of led to some environmental drift between uh, the different accounts that we've had. Uh, nothing serious enough that would cause a problem between any of the environments, but it was not uh, completely consistent across the board. Uh, we've also had some limited monitoring and alerting around uh, access to the environment and uh, events that occurred in the environment. Uh, we've always had the CloudTrail logging enabled, so there's full logs and full retention on those. So we can always look back and see what happened and when, but we didn't have the visibility of being notified immediately when it happened. And uh, basically, the, the usage of our cloud was growing faster than our team. When we roll it out, we were in a real adoption phase, trying to build up the usage of the environment, uh, start realizing the benefits internally of, of leveraging the cloud. And that really took off. So what we saw is the, the adoption was really growing, and we started transitioning from this adoption phase into an operational phase. Uh, and that started to, to bring some challenges to our team. Now, we can't manage things manually, uh, constantly checking. We, we needed to be able to uh, have a lot of automation in place for this. So as we sort of uh, had our foundation level, knew exactly what we, we wanted to do in the environment, we came up with uh, different account models. Uh, there are three ones that we have. Uh, some of these are shared models where we have multiple workloads in an environment. Uh, some of these are dedicated where it's only one application in the environment. Depends on the, the requirements for the specific solution. Uh, the first one is a proof of concept environment. Uh, this we have for just short-term temporary workloads. Somebody who wants to come in and see, does AWS work for me? How's my performance in this specific region? Or how does these services work together? Uh, we have traditional account models, which are uh, essentially data center-like environments that are hosted in the cloud. Uh, they behave very similar to an on-premise data center. We have the same enterprise tools, same enterprise support teams managing them. Uh, we just happen to host them in the, uh, in the cloud. Uh, the third account model that we have is what we call the modern cloud. And this is where we're really pushing teams to go. Uh, this is where the applications really take advantage of the cloud capabilities, cloud-native solutions, uh, architectures which are really built to, to realize all the benefits of the cloud. Uh, so with this, now we had our, our account models identified. Uh, we knew our current state, but we wanted to see where we, where we wanted to go. So we put together a list of some goals that we wanted to achieve. Uh, I'm not going to read all these to you. Uh, you can see some trends in here. So it's uh, alerting, visibility, traceability. Um, the, the common theme across the board for these is, is real automation. We wanted to make sure that uh, as we implemented these in the environment, uh, they could run as much as possible on their own, that we didn't have to constantly be uh, involved, uh, making sure they're in place, uh, making sure they're configured correctly and, and running correctly. And we were able to achieve all, achieve all these using a number of different Amazon services. So they, they always say Amazon or AWS is like Lego blocks. Uh, that's sort of what we did here. We, we had some solutions that took advantage of just a service. Other ones, we chained them together to build a solution that uh, really met our needs. And I'll go into uh, each of these, how we uh, achieve them and the services that were used to, to achieve our goals. 
Uh, I have these broken down into different type of categories. Uh, the first category here is no dev solutions. So these are solutions which are configuration only. It's taking the services that Amazon offers and uh, configuring them to meet your needs. Uh, you don't have to do any development at all. It's just it's purely configuration. Uh, the first of these is uh, we wanted to make sure we had a historical audibility of resources in the environment. And as Scott mentioned, uh, AWS Config is, is the real good solution for this. Uh, it has a number of different services which are supported today. Uh, it's constantly growing, so it's something uh, very easy to enable uh, in your environment, and it's highly recommended. Uh, with this, you can see uh, the full life cycle of uh, different resources in the environment. Uh, one of the most powerful features that uh, I think exists with it is not only does it look at the current state of the environment, but it'll actually look at deleted resources as well. So if you have a server in your environment, you delete it, you can actually still go back in time and see when was it deleted and what did it look like prior to its deletion. So very powerful there as well. Uh, we also leverage uh, S3 versioning, uh, literally just a check of a box and you have full versioning on your S3 bucket. So you can see as somebody adds a new file, uh, what it looks like at, at any specific point in time. And with that, we use MFA delete or multi-factor authentication delete. What that means is you need the root account along with an MFA token in order to actually delete a file. So essentially that eliminates any end user from deleting content in the environment uh, accidentally or even intentionally. The next uh, no-dev solution that we had is around uh, near real-time alerting. And Scott went into this a little bit in his presentation. Uh, but this is used to alert uh, when specific events happen in the environment, or even if they try to happen within the environment. Uh, today we have a, a number of different alerts configured. Uh, there is a great AWS blog on how this is configured for root accounts. Uh, we kind of just took that and extended it for our environment. Uh, we use it today for privilege account usage, so when is the root account being used, uh, when were users uh, failing authentication, and, and we also use them for, we call them interesting events, but just events that we wanted to know when they occurred so we can do some follow-up. Not necessarily anything bad, but events that are uncommon within the environment. So things like VPC updates. We wanted to make sure that we knew when they were occurring so we can follow up to make sure all the appropriate change requests and uh, processes are being followed. Uh, the way this works is uh, anytime a user performs an activity in the environment, it gets logged into the CloudTrail service. And then CloudTrail can be configured to forward those logs to CloudWatch logs. Uh, for that log group, you can configure what's called a metric filter. It's a, uh, a pattern that the CloudWatch service looks for within the logs. If that pattern matches, uh, it'll trigger an alarm. So you can see an example in the screenshot below where uh, this is the, uh, the alerting for failed authentication attempts. Uh, if this were to appear anywhere in the logs, it would trigger a, a notification to our team's distribution list, and then we could follow up for some investigation. Uh, this is very useful, uh, again, if you want to see uh, not only that users uh, have control of the environment, but uh, that we're actually alerting, so we have the visibility of going to our team. Uh, the next note of solution, this is uh, around monitoring environmental health. Uh, this is leveraging the Trusted Advisor service. Uh, the Trusted Advisor is a, a real-time tool that gives you uh, the status of your environment and is it in line with Amazon's or AWS's uh, best practices or recommendations for the configuration. And there's a number of different checks for the services. Uh, the checks that are available depend on your service plan. Uh, the, uh, the standard plan has a, a few checks, but as you go up in your support, uh, business and enterprise support, uh, the number of checks which are available uh, increases by a lot. Uh, it's very useful for seeing uh, sort of a dashboard of what does my account look like today as far as uh, being configured in best practices or not. 
Uh, with Trust Advisor, you can get a weekly email. So we receive these emails, and it'll show you the, the change in status between the different weeks. So you can see last week this service was green. Now it has transitioned to a yellow status or a warning status. Uh, you can see things which were previously in the red or error status moving to a yellow or a green status improving. And we review these weekly, making sure that uh, we're always trending in the right direction. Uh, there are some critical checks, which we didn't want to wait a week for, so things like S3 buckets, which are open to the world, uh, IAM key rotations. Uh, for these, we have uh, some automated scripts which leverage the APIs and send an immediate email to our team. Uh, and just a few comments on the Trust Advisor service. The response for the alert really depends on the actual alert. Uh, it depends on your configuration and how you're actually using the service. Uh, yellow is not necessarily a bad thing. There's uh, a lot of times where you need your service to be configured a specific way, and that results in the yellow status uh, within the, the Trusted Advisor service. Uh, I would advise you that if there are situations like that, uh, you can exclude those from the checks. And then that way, uh, as the status changes, you can see uh, what are the ones that you really need to be concerned about, not the ones that you don't need to be concerned about. So now we're moving into the minor development solution. These are solutions where we rely very heavily on AWS's services, but we need to do some development to really achieve uh, the goals that we're looking for. Uh, this one is around tight controls over API permissions. Uh, we wanted to make sure that all the users in our environment were restricted for certain activities. Uh, we do a, a great job when we create the user policies of applying the restrictions or not granting them access to the things which they don't need, but we wanted to be extra sure that they specifically can't do things uh, through a deny policy. And it started to get a little difficult to uh, configure these for each user. What if we miss something? What if we found there's a new API that we didn't want a user to, ha uh, to have? Uh, so we, we wanted to make sure there was a solution for that. And for this is uh, one of the custom solutions that we built. Uh, the way it works is we have a managed policy, which is deployed to all the accounts, and that has uh, the list of the API restrictions that we don't want uh, individual users to do. So things like deleting KMS keys, uh, specific bucket policies we wanted, uh, or bucket access uh, we wanted to limit. And we have a Lambda function that runs out of a shared account uh, on a schedule. Uh, tunable, it runs uh, very quickly now because uh, of how fast it will execute. But it will uh, assume a role within each of the target accounts that we're looking at and apply this managed policy to all the users and roles in the environment. Uh, what that means is anytime a new user were to be created in the environment, uh, we know that uh, almost immediately they'll have this restriction applied to them, knowing that they, they can't do the things which we don't want them to do. Uh, and the big advantage, too, is because we're leveraging managed policies, we can just uh, add additional API restrictions to this policy and know that it's going to take effect for everybody within the environment. Uh, this is really important from an auditing standpoint. You're showing control over the things which your users can and can't do within your environment. Uh, the next minor uh, dev solution we have is a way to show traceability back to users for their actions. Uh, to achieve this, we use a custom federation broker in our environment. Uh, basically, what that means is uh, for a user to access the Amazon environment, we require them to authenticate against our internal Active Directory system. Uh, in the past, we used uh, IAM users uh, for certain accounts, but uh, by moving to Active Directory, we can guarantee that if a user is no longer with the company, uh, we don't have to worry about cleaning up these IAM users right away. They won't be able to authenticate against our internal system, which means they won't be able to proceed with access to the environment. And the way it was built, uh, it still gives us full traceability of the actions in the environment and who specifically did them. So you can see in the right screenshot here, 
Uh, this is myself logging in with a master role, and I can see uh, my specific user, my internal user, is the one doing the action. So if I ever wanted to look in the logs for what did I do, I can very easily see that and still have uh, the ability that, because I authenticate against uh, our internal directory, I am who I say I am. So now we have all these services uh, in place that, that are really helping us improve our compliance, but how do we make sure that that is in place? Uh, you, you've heard there's a number of dependencies that we have. So what if CloudTrail is disabled? What if our SNS topics that send us notifications have the wrong email address? What if config is logging to a bucket that uh, is incorrect and uh, isn't actually storing the logs? Uh, what we wanted to make sure is uh, all those elements that really build up the environment are monitored and uh, they stay compliant with all of our requirements. Uh, so to achieve that, we developed a tool we call the Continuous Compliance Checker. Uh, it's an automated tool that validates uh, a number of different elements of the environment, making sure that it's consistent with our requirements that we have for the environment. Uh, it's built to run on a schedule and on demand, and every time that it runs, uh, all the data is uh, archived for uh, historical reporting. Uh, from a scope standpoint, today we're looking at uh, account settings, CloudWatch, uh, CloudTrail, uh, Config. We're looking at monitoring settings, so the, the metric filters, the SNS topics. Uh, we're also looking at administrative permissions, so things like uh, IAM users, IAM roles, uh, checking password policies within the account, making sure that uh, the users who are part of the administrators group uh, are the correct users to be part of the group. And how does this run? So when we build a new environment before we release it to the end user, we use this to actually IQOQ the environment, to make sure that the environment is released, uh, being built according to all of our standards. Uh, we then enable this to run uh, daily within the environments to show that not only was it compliant the first day it was released, uh, it's continuing to be compliant uh, throughout the life of the entire account. The way it works is uh, starting in the top left, we have a highly available uh, EC2 instance that uh, runs out of a shared account that uh, access is limited to our team. Uh, this account assumes a read-only role on the target accounts that we're looking for. Uh, the, because we're using a read-only role because we wanted to ensure that there are no changes to the environment at all. The account only has the ability to query things in the environment, not uh, the actual ability to touch any of the services uh, in, within the environment. Uh, this read-only role executes a number of different API calls against the environment uh, for a number of different services. So if it wants to know the password settings, it would issue uh, API calls against the IAM service. If it wanted to know CloudWatch settings, it would use the CloudWatch APIs. Uh, all these actual results from the APIs are returned back to the service, and it's compared to uh, an expected results file, which I'll show you uh, in a slide or so. Uh, these results are merged together, so the expected, the actual, and did they match. And the results of these are archived in an S3 bucket uh, with MFA delete uh, enabled on it. Uh, if there was uh, an error or failure with any of these comparisons, so did the expected not match the actual, uh, if that's the case, it would trigger an SNS uh, notification to our team, and then we'd be able to go in and do some investigation of why is it configured like that, uh, what happened, do the, uh, do the detective work to figure out what happened there. Uh, this is what a results comparison looks like. So we have a, an expected results file that has uh, the, the service, the subcategory, as well as the specific API field that we're looking for, and the response that we're expecting from the API. So you can see on the left is the configuration file, and the right is the actual response from an API request to one of the AWS services. 
And you can see we're looking, we, uh, we're expecting that uh, require uppercase is true. The response that we get back from the API is that the uppercase is true. Uh, this is just another uh, example of uh, the same thing where we're looking at Cloudtrail services. You can see we're looking at uh, a number of different elements. So even things like what's the trail name that we're using. We want to make sure that the, the accounts are truly in sync uh, in all the elements that are possible. And how do we demonstrate control on this? So we, we started off to, to get to this solution by building a requirement specification. This is probably the, the biggest challenge we've had to, to making this real is just identifying all those elements that we wanted to be uh, consistent across the board and what these expected values uh, should be for the environment. We wanted to make sure that we're using values which uh, could be shared across the board, uh, not ones that were one-off or specific for the environment. Uh, we're, we're looking to add the, the capability to do that, have the one-offs, but uh, we wanted to start with uh, the true consistency, like what does uh, a managed cloud environment look like. Uh, from there, uh, we make sure that uh, as we're doing updates to the, uh, either the expected values or the application that's running, uh, we have an internal change request process. So we document uh, what is changing, why it's changing, go through an approval process with multiple levels of approval. Uh, as well as all the required testing to make sure that uh, it's, it's functioning as expected. Uh, the test plans that we use, uh, we, we make sure that it's, it's fully tested, verifying that everything's behaving as we expect. Uh, when we initially rolled it out, it was uh, running this script and then manually checking, verifying everything is uh, in place, uh, then comparing that to the res uh, res uh, results of the file, making sure that uh, it is truly doing what we expect it to be doing. And this is what uh, the output looks like that gets generated. Uh, there's a unique file that gets generated every single time that it runs. So if you run it back-to-back, uh, -back, there'll be two files there. It's not like there's one file per day or, or, or even per, per account. Uh, you can see it's broken down into uh, the category on the left there, followed by the subcategory, the expected uh, and actual results, and then uh, just does it match the expected to the actual. And at the very bottom of the file, it's just an overall result. Uh, did the entire run uh, pass, or was there one or more issues in the environment? So now we have all this great uh, alerting and monitoring in place, but uh, alerts are no good if they're ignored. If you are sending a, a number of different alerts and nobody's taking action on those, it's basically as good as if you didn't have any alerts in place. So for our side, we uh, follow a process where uh, we make sure that any of the alerts that, uh, that come out uh, it has proper investigation, proper documentation, and proper closeout. Uh, each of the alerts that come in, uh, we do some analysis on it initially. So confirm, is it an issue or is it a non-issue? Uh, a non-issue could be something like, uh, we're expecting our team to log in with the root account. It'll still trigger an alert because that's how we configure the environment, but we know that it's uh, an expected alert in place. So uh, very simple closeout in those cases. It's uh, here's the request knowing that uh, we should be expecting it. Uh, confirm that it is expected, confirm that the team member has been doing it, and then uh, just simply close it out with the alert. Uh, if there is an issue or something that's unexpected, then we start doing that investigation work, uh, troubleshooting what happened in the environment, why did it happen, who did it, uh, leveraging the CloudTrail API so we could see uh, who did what. Uh, and then uh, once we all have all that good information together, we, we follow the closeout process. So we, we start with the alert that was triggered, uh, all the investigation documentation work that we have, as well as the official closeout. And we document that either in our uh, enterprise uh, ticketing system or uh, our, one of our internal team repositories. But like Scott said right from the start, 
uh, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. And we wanted to make sure that we showed uh, traceability for the alerts that show up into the environment, uh, that we are properly receiving the alerts, we are properly taking action on those, and we are properly closing them out. So where are we at today? Uh, we have uh, all of these uh, capabilities in place now. Uh, it's, it's given us the ability to uh, comfortably build new accounts and know that they'll stay in sync with our standards. We don't have to worry about are we building it the correct way? Is there something that's uh, potentially off that we started with? Uh, we know that uh, everything will be in line with what we expect. Uh, essentially, we've eliminated the account drift uh, in our environments now as well. Uh, we know uh, we will be alerted if there is anything that's different from our standards. Uh, what that means, though, is if we find a change uh, that we expect to be applied into all the environments, we need to update the environments as well as update our script or else we'll be receiving alerts for every single one of our environments that something's off. So it takes a little bit of coordination there, but uh, the value is definitely worth it. Uh, we're also uh, confident now showing a lot tighter controls on the environment. Uh, we don't have to worry about so much of does this user have this uh, capability or not. Uh, through the, the automation of uh, deploying those policies to the users, we know that uh, they, they can't do specific actions, which we don't want them to do. Uh, we've also uh, reduced some of the security risks in the environment as well. Uh, if something were to happen, we know about it right away. Uh, we can immediately start taking action and some investigation on it. Uh, we make sure that users don't have the ability to do things with the policy, but uh, through the policies that we apply to them, but we wanted to do the sort of trust but verify, making sure that if somebody found a way in through some possibility that we weren't expecting, we have that visibility and we can take action on it uh, right away. Uh, we also got a lot more visibility into account usage. Uh, through the, the interesting events, we can really see uh, who's doing what in the environment and when are they doing it. Uh, that's things which we didn't really know uh, in the past. We could definitely look it up, but now we can see uh, when things are happening. If somebody, a specific event is happening a lot more than we expected, we can really look into it and, and dig into why that's happening, and maybe there's something we can change internally uh, to improve it for the users. Uh, but the biggest thing that this uh, has allowed us to do is, is focus on growing uh, our usage instead of just maintaining it. We can now take the resources that we're doing and all the manual activity and apply that on learning about the new services, uh, securing things better, uh, working with the end user for uh, more adoption within the environment. Uh, that's, that's been really big for us. That's sort of lightened the load and, and allowed us to move on to the things which we really want to focus on within the environment. So what, what are we looking at in the future? Uh, first thing is we're, we're definitely looking to eliminate servers. We want to go serverless for everything. Nobody wants to maintain a server uh, at all. So we're, we're definitely looking to go serverless as much as possible. Uh, Scott mentioned how the, uh, the config rule service has a, a similar ability to what we have. That's something that we're evaluating as well. Um, we're looking to see, who knows, maybe even AWS will announce tomorrow uh, a service similar to this. Uh, we're also looking to expand the checker to uh, be a little more real-time. Right now it runs on a schedule, and we can really compress that time down uh, to minimize that, that potential drift, but we even want to get closer to real-time. So something like uh, trigger a, a scan in the environment based on uh, a CloudTrail event. So if there's an, uh, an a, uh, IAM event in the environment, immediately run a scan of all the IAM services, making sure that they're in compliance. Uh, that'll, that'll essentially shrink the... Uh, that drift time down to nothing and it'll truly be the continuous compliance that we're aiming for. 
Uh, we're also looking to uh, evaluating, correcting the issues instead of just uh, alerting on them. Uh, it's something we want to take very carefully. We don't want to uh, roll back changes if, we, if we're not exactly sure why they're being done. So uh, as we're seeing the events come in and the alerts coming in, we're, we're doing some analysis to make sure that uh, things, if they're not being done, uh, we know about it. Um, we may get there eventually, but so far it's been working out uh, doing that manual analysis. Uh, so with that, uh, the end of the slides. Uh, thank you. Our email addresses are on here. Uh, as Scott mentioned, we're, we're not taking questions. We're going to give some time for the other teams to come in, but we're, we'll be in the hallway if there are any questions after this.